You are listening to a sermon from Gateway Foursquare Church in Campbell River, BC. We are so glad that you joined us today and trust that the Lord will speak a word directly to you as you listen. To learn more about Gateway, find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah, Isaiah, then Jeremiah. Old, Old Testament, almost kind of the middle of the Bible there. And uh, we're going to dig into a, continuing in our sermon series, Cultivate. We're going to begin to talk about some of the process of cultivating. Last week, we looked at another kind of garden metaphor Jesus used. He is the vine. We are the branches, right? And Jesus told us to abide in him. And then the question is, how do we abide in him? Because if we don't abide, we're cut off from life. There's not that flow of what the Lord wants to do. And Jesus taught us in John chapter 15, which was actually my Bible reading today. Some of you are doing that same Bible reading plan and might have already read it. Reminding us uh, that we abide in Jesus by obeying him. And I know we, we would like something a little bit more, maybe emotive or something, but it's this, this dynamic of I see him as Lord and I respond appropriately uh, to that case and that situation. And in that, I find life and this flow of God's presence. He is in us and with us. And so I want to kind of continue on uh, with that thought, right? Like, again, I know most of us, if we're honest, we want more of that experience of the abundance of life. And Jesus is teaching us in his word how to experience it. Not just to think about, that would be nice. Like, how do I know uh, that, I can, uh, that I can have the abundance of life and what can I do about it? And so we're using this metaphor of cultivation. Cultivation, which we're defining for our purposes as the careful process of creating conditions that lead to the abundance of life. And now some of that we don't like because it's like careful and process and, and time. Lots of things we don't like. We want like, do you remember growing up and seeing the infomercials and stuff for like the Chia Pet kind of stuff? Like all you need to do is spread out this stuff and pour on some water and poof, you've got all these plants, right? This kind of sense that it's instant and really quick. Well, that's not the cultivating we're talking about. We're talking about sowing and tilling and hard, like waiting with patience and all these things. And I want to look at an, a, an aspect of that, of preparing the soil of our own heart, preparing our own lives to be places where life can happen and grow even more. And I, I was flipping through some old photos this week on my phone and stuff, and I, I flipped past this picture of my lawn like two years ago uh, at our house. And when we moved in, uh, the backyard was, was, there was a lot of gravel and things like that, which was, you know, a durable surface and, and had purposes, and, uh, but it wasn't really great for kids running around on, on gravel. So I started a process of removing the gravel and wanting to put in some grass, right? So I, I had decided that I wanted the kids to be able to play on the grass that year. So I was like, I'm going to need to get turf, like the rollout grass, not the fake stuff. Uh, I said that jokingly in a sermon a while back that I was going to put fake grass down, and somebody came and talked to me afterwards. Uh, but anyways, so this just the rollout grass, right? And, and I was like, wow, that, that costs some money to get rolled out grass, so I better make sure 
I prepped this proper, right? No surprise. Like I got rid of all of the gravel meticulously, pulled up all the cloth that was underneath it, uh, and then I pulled the weeds, and then I pulled out a pickaxe, and then I used that to like manually break up. I didn't have a rototiller, so I'm like pickaxing the backyard because I'm like, it seems to make sense in my brain that the soil should be broken up so the water can flow, that the roots can go down. I brought in some more soil to throw on top. Of the stuff that you would do if that's the project that you do, right? Because I'm like, if I'm going to spend the effort to roll this grass out, like, I want it to work. Like, I, I, there's a vision to accomplish in this yard. And so we did all the stuff, and it was a lot of work and super dirty and all those sorts of things, and then rolled out the turf. And the picture I saw this week was what my lawn looked like, like, that afternoon, which when you roll turf down, it's just, like, the best transformation moment, before and after, and all that sort of stuff. Spoiler alert, we have a dog now, and if you look at my lawn... It's not as pristine as that day, let me tell you. But nonetheless, you, hopefully in your life, you've had an opportunity to see the conditions of a place with some hard ground that needed some work before it would be really ready. Some of you are gardeners. Some of you take care of a lawn. Maybe you've, had some help, you've helped somebody else or something like that. But I want you to put this picture in your mind of cultivating, and, and often cultivating, yes, includes harvesting. It includes watching the growth, but good cultivation begins with some preparation in advance. The conditions have to just get ready, and, and, and so what we're talking about is not tips on gardening, uh, which would be a fun and interesting topic, although it's the middle of the, the winter, so I don't think it's probably not well-timed. I don't know. But nonetheless, I want to talk about the conditions of your heart. And the Lord wants to talk about the conditions of your heart. And he does that throughout Scripture in so many different ways. We haven't, we're not going to look there today, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, where like there's these different kinds of soil conditions, right? There's the path, the soil along the path, and then there's the rocky soil, and then there's the soil that has all the thorns in it. We're going to get back to that one a little later today. And then there is the good soil. Which soil do, you, do we want to be? Good soil. How do you get good soil? You got to do some prep work. And if it's good soil and good seed goes into that soil, the Bible says in Mark chapter 4 that you can have a harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold increase on the things that have been put into that field. And so how do we get to the place in our lives where our hearts are good soil for the Lord to work so that we can be responsive? I believe God wants you to have the abundance of life. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to be fruitful in your life, that his character of love and joy and peace would be developed in you, that others might be blessed, that faith is stirred. All of these things God wants to do in the good soil of your heart but is your heart ready for God to do that work? And so I want to jump in the story in Jeremiah chapter. Well, we're actually going to kind of walk through a few verses starting in Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to focus on Jeremiah 4 in just a second. I'm going to quickly walk you through the context because it gets better when we hear the whole story and not just heart focus in on one verse. Uh, it would be good on its own, but it's so much better in context. And so Jeremiah tells us the story of the nation of Israel, and particular in a season where God's people had been rebellious and unfaithful to him. That's a lot of the Old Testament. 
Sometimes it can be a bit heartbreaking or frustrating to read through the Old Testament because you're like, come on, Israel, again? Like, well, you just got on track again? God was so good, and again you're unfaithful? And so we jump into one of these moments in Jeremiah where God wants to call and challenge and shape these people uh, before really they're led into exile. What does that mean, exile? That God was going to remove them from their land as a consequence to their lack of faith in him, them not fulfilling their part of the deal they'd made with God willingly. God was faithful to his part, and he was gracious and patient, and his, his patience and love goes way beyond our ability to be patient and kind. God was calling them back. But so here in these moments in Jeremiah, let's look through a few verses. What had happened with them? Jeremiah 2, verse 2 says this, reminding us that Israel at one point had been faithful to the Lord. God says to them, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who ate of it incurred guilt. That means their enemies that came against them, God dealt with them. Disaster came upon their enemies. But what are we seeing in these verses? God fondly remembering those moments where Israel had been faithful. Their hearts focused on the Lord, their attention on him. That, that, that excitement of, it, it, even it, I like it, it says here, as, as uh, your love as a bride. That, that romantic part of a relationship, the, the early phases where it's, it's, it's wonderful and all these things. I'm not saying it's not wonderful later, but sometimes life happens and reality sets in, the rose-colored glasses come off and you're like, man, I love you, but there's some stuff, right? But he's talking about that time, remember Israel, those moments. I wonder if we could put ourselves into that story. Because Israel's story is not like, unlike our story. I wonder if you're here and you're a believer in the Lord and you've had moments of your life where you were just in love with Jesus. It wasn't a labor to be in his word because you just wanted to hear what he had to say. It wasn't a struggle to tell others about Jesus because you're just so enthralled and excited. You couldn't not tell everybody. Remember those moments. Israel had those moments too, but it didn't stay there. The Bible point, paints the picture then as we continued on that they then go into seasons of unfaithfulness towards the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 5, I won't read it, but it tells us that they went, they went after um, or in, in throughout uh, later on here in the chapter, they went through moments of unfaithfulness as in worshiping idols, worshiping other gods. They got distracted. Their eyes had been focused on the Lord and enthralled and open and, and God able to bless and move. But then their, their focus got put on other things, other gods. They became discontent with the Lord, although God had been faithful and powerful and had delivered them and rescued them and provided for them. They looked other places. I'm sure you cannot relate to, well, hopefully none of us relate in like literal idols, but we know in our hearts that it doesn't need to be a little statue to grab our attention away from the Lord. It's this heartbreaking moment in this story, right? And sometimes so reflects our own story too. Moments of, I'm just in love with you, Lord, and then other moments where we're drawn back to other things and distractions and priorities and places that we think life will take place. 
idols. Israel is drawn away after them. It says in, in another place uh, in the scriptures here too that uh, they, he, they threw off God's authority, which man, that, that's, that's a powerful thing. That they, they basically put themselves in the position of saying, uh, Amy, it ties into what you were challenging us about there this morning, clarifying for us this morning. They got to the point where they're like, you're not the boss of us anymore. Who are you to tell me I can't go under that tree up there on that hill and worship another god? I'm not, I'm not submitting to your authority. Israel's faith, faithlessness continues on and develops, and they, they flee from the God that loved them and rescued them. And so how does God respond? He's more gracious and patient and kind than, than we give him credit for. He's so good. And in Jeremiah, I want us to look at a few verses here where God is so, so loving to them that he calls them back out of their unfaithfulness. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 12, it says this. Well, actually, maybe I'll go back to verse 11. I don't know if it'll be on the screen, but it says in verse 11, And the Lord said to me, this is Jeremiah the prophet, speaking on behalf of God to God's people Israel, Faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. So it's pointing into some context of the nation of Israel. At one point, kind of broke off into two camps, north and south, Israel and Judah. We don't need to know all that, but one group, the, the north had gone into exile already, and Judah was holding out because they were mildly more faithful than the others. But listen to this says in verse 12, go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, so God's saying, Jeremiah, speak to these people. And he's, what does he say? Return. That's a beautiful word. God doesn't say, take a hike. He doesn't say, never again. He says, return. That, that's a good God, hey? That's a beautiful picture of grace. God says, return faithless Israel. He's calling them to return even though he knows exactly where they're at. It's like in our lives, sometimes we get these false pictures of, man, I'll return to the Lord when I got it all together. And God's like, just return now, okay? <laughs> faithless you, just come, return, declares the Lord. And he goes on and says, I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. Don't we serve a God? I will not be angry forever. So Israel goes from in love with the Lord to faithlessness, and now God calls them back, and then he even tells them how to come back. He doesn't leave it vague, like, now you better figure it out. If you really want it, you'll figure out how to come back to me. That's not the heart of the Lord. What does he go on to say? He says, only acknowledge your guilt that you've rebelled against the Lord your God and scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree. What does that mean? Uh, foreigners or foreign gods, under uh, they worship under trees and in high places. God's saying, you, uh, you need to acknowledge that you worshiped other gods. You need to acknowledge your faithfulness that you did not or have not obeyed my voice declares the Lord, return, O faithless children. What a God. And then he instructs them on how to return, and what's the key in them returning? Repentance. Acknowledging they'd blown it. And God's saying, 
That, that's the key. That's how you come back. This is, this is how you return. And, and not just kind of a, I said some stuff in repentance, but then also doing the, the work that would, le- that would uh, correspond to that repentance. If you say, Lord, forgive me for worshiping idols, the work in keeping with that repentance is to what? Get rid of the idols, right? It's not, oh, now I'm earning something. No, 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 you're just walking out your commitment. You said, God, I for- forgive me for that. And then now in keeping with that repentance, it's not just words, it then flows into action. And here is, this is a key thing, like highlight moment of our sermon today. I think often we confuse repentance with just a prayer in our heart, and it begins there. Can I hear an amen? But repentance leads to changed action. We can sometimes miss. Oh, oh, there we go. Yeah. Repentance, there is a work in keeping with that repentance. Jesus himself says this in Matthew chapter 3. When he's speaking to uh, some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, and and he doesn't have uh, nice words for them, Uh, it says in in Matthew chapter 3, verse uh, 7, but we saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, so these were Jewish leaders that were legalistic and were putting bondage and weight on God's people. He saw them coming to his baptism, and he said uh, to them, you brood of vipers, ooh, That was not a compliment. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So it's not just repent as a mental gymnastic moment. It's a heartfelt saying, Lord. Lord. I confess my wrong, my sin, my running after this distraction, this thing, this false idol, whatever it is. And Lord, because of that then, Lord, help me then to walk that out, the fruit of it. And we see this like in our lives. This is uh, so, so many of these things. Sometimes we stop at the repent part and then we don't do the action part. God wants both parts. And I know that's hard, but this is the picture of what God was calling his people to do in, in Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, to them. And then there's this picture that I want us to focus on for today. Uh, Isaiah, or sorry, Jeremiah chapter 4. It says, if you return, O Israel. So again, God's been giving them a choice, if conditional. They might not return, but he's inviting them to, declares the Lord. To me, you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver. What is he saying? Get rid of the idols. Get rid of the things that are causing those distractions in your life. And do not waver. And if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and righteousness, then the nations shall bless themselves um, in him, and in him shall they glory. This is a picture that, man, Israel, he's inviting them. If you will return to me, not only will you be blessed, but the nations around you will be blessed too. Similar for our lives too. We'll get back to that a little bit later. Verse 3, for thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. Here's the the verse for the day. Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Here's two things we're going to talk about cultivating this morning. Breaking up hard ground and pulling thorns. If you're taking notes, key phrases. 
breaking hard ground, and pulling thorns. This is the hard work of preparing the soil of your life for God to be at work in ways that won't happen if there's not room. And we'll we'll look at that picture here in a moment, but I want to start with the breaking the hard ground part. Pull out the (laughs) pickaxe. Get the rototiller. Uh, we, we did use a rototiller for like five minutes and then shredded up a sprinkler line, so I stopped using the rototiller. But nonetheless, picture in your mind hard, dry ground. And the first step is you've got to break it up. Why? Because air's got to get in there and nutrients and water, and then there's got to be room for roots to begin to take. If it's all punt hard and pressed down, none of these things can begin to happen. The preparation includes breaking it up, and God tells them to break up your hard ground. And, and, and your heart, it says break up your fallow ground. It's an important word. Fallow is a farming word. So you would like grow crops in your field for a certain number of years. And then in order for the soil, because the the growing of the crops drains the nutrients in the soil, right? In our modern world, we're like, ha ha, we'll outsmart you. And we just pour heaps of chemicals on the soil so that we can keep on growing stuff. But fallow is an older practice where in order to keep the soil full of life, Every certain number of years, you would grow nothing in that field. You'd leave it fallow. You just let it alone. You don't sow anything. You're not going to harvest anything. But the point is, the future harvests, not this one. For the longevity of the thing, you don't tax the soil to its greatest extent. So here, it's an interesting picture, right? God says, break up your fallow ground. It's hard ground, yes, but it's hard because it's fallow. It's been left. What does that imply? It used to be fruitful. It also implies that it can again be fruitful. And so I just feel there's a word from the Lord for some people today as I was preparing this sermon and I like keyed into the fact that it said fallow and not just hard. Some of you have been faithful. You've seen the life of Jesus flowing in your life. You've been fruitful. You've reached others for the kingdom. But you're in currently a season where your life has gone fallow. You've gone a bit dormant in your walk with the Lord, so to speak. And now fallow can be a good practice every now and then. Rest is a good thing. But when fallow season is followed by fallow season, by another fallow season, you're you're not, there's life stops happening, at least as far as harvest is concerned. And so I believe there's a word from the Lord for at least a number of people today. I don't know if it's just some people here in the room or those joining us online. You've had seasons of growth and life in your walk with Jesus, but for whatever reason, you're in a fallow season. You're not actively harvesting. You're not sowing seed. You're not pulling up all these things. You're just, now is the time to break up the ground. It's time to plant for a harvest again. It is time to give all that you have to the Lord. It's time, church. What, what other time will there be for us to say, Lord, I will take seriously your call to fruitfulness in my life. Lord, I want to glorify my Father by bearing much fruit, and that fruit would abide. But if my field is fallow, I'm not bearing fruit. Break up the hard ground, church. Break up the fallow ground. It's time for more harvest. It's time for, and I think that's an individual word. I think that's a a corporate application in a number of different ways. Oh, Lord. 
There's a number of reasons you might have been fallow. Hurt, brokenness. I'm going to say it, COVID. Break up the ground. When else? So, Lord, we pray that if there are areas of hardness in our lives, for all the different reasons that your word talks to us about the hardness of heart, offense or bitterness or disappointment, pain, Lord, even just apathy. Lord, we come before you today and say, Lord, we, we want to break up that hard ground. Come, Lord, give us the strength to pull up the, to, to wield the pickaxe. Church, it's time to seek the Lord. And here's the thing. I know it's a bit of a hard word, right, to be like, break up hard ground, pull up a pickaxe, swing that thing. Like, we live in a therapeutic culture. Do you know what I mean by that? If it, like, we, we just go after things that make us feel good. That's the only litmus test. If it makes you feel good, great. Everything else must therefore be bad. Last time I checked, farming is hard work. And God's happy to say, he's happy to use the farming metaphor because it's true to life. Breaking up your hard ground in your heart isn't always gonna feel like, you know, this wonderful, wonderful, happy time. But it's gonna lead to life. Man, those farmers, like I respect farmers that like get up at like four o'clock in the morning and stuff like that. Like bless your heart, farmer. That's hard. You have to say no to your flesh and get up because there's a job that needs to happen. Let's break up the hard ground. And so again, oh, how do I do that? We'll get to some thoughts practically here in a moment. But like I said, the first thing, the Lord said, break up your fallow ground. And then he says, and sow not among thorns. Well, why not? Well, if you throw seeds amongst thorns, the thorns will probably win. They'll crowd out and at the very least limit the fruitfulness of everything else. It's why you pull weeds in your lawn, because if you don't start pulling the weeds, they'll take over from the grass. Those dandelions are hardy suckers. And they are going to take over unless you pull them out. Or I don't know what kind of weeds that I have, but you know sometimes you have those weeds that like literally have like the pointy spikes on them. And you like try to, anyone else? Like I, you put gloves on, but then I'm, sometimes I don't get the gloves and I prick myself. And, but I'm going to pull that weed from the root because I want my grass to look green. Now, grass is a bad metaphor because it doesn't lead to any sort of actual harvest. It's all a bit aesthetic. But anyways... Maybe you have a garden. Nonetheless, the same thing, the same principle applies. You got to pull out the thorns so there's room for the stuff that you want to grow. And here's a key thing, church, for us. There are thorns, there are plants growing in the soil of our hearts that some of them are not even sin. Some of them are not even bad. But it's crowding out the stuff that you actually want to grow. So I want to be careful. Thorns are a picture of sin in the Bible. How do we know that? Well, when Adam and Eve sinned, God curses the ground. And what came out of the ground? Thorns and thistles. There's a consequence. There's a picture of sin associated with thorns. So even when the Lord's saying, don't sow among thorns, I think there's a strong call to Israel in context and us as well. Deal with sin. But there's good news, right? 
Because what did Jesus bear on his head when he went to the, before he went to the cross? A crown of thorns. That wasn't an accident. God, even though it was the Romans that put that crown of thorns on there, there is a prophetic picture in that moment of God saying thorns came out of the ground when sin came into the world. But Jesus will bear the weight of that sin on his own body to remove it from you. Thank you, Jesus. I love when the Bible ties together over hundreds of years. Those, that thorns were a curse, and Jesus bears it on his own flesh. Why do we need to know that? Because when we say things like, we've got to deal with sin in our lives, sometimes we'll still, even as believers, a go to, I better try harder. Instead of saying, first step, I better run to Jesus, because that's my only hope to be free. Jesus, you bore my sin on your body. I come to you for cleansing and strength and power. So believer, are there areas of, we're not going to pass a microphone around, don't worry, but believer, are there areas of sin in your life that you need to submit to the Lord so that the real stuff can grow? Pull the thorns. Submit it to Jesus. Receive his strength. Pull the thorns. And again, like I said, not every thorn uh, is a sin. Mark chapter 4, verse 19 says this, speaking of thorny uh, soil, says that the soar, the, uh, the, those thorns are a picture of the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things. So some of those things aren't sin necessarily, while deceitfulness isn't a good thing at the very least. But nonetheless, there's a number of things that could be taking up place in the soil of your heart that we need to pull that sucker out from the root in Jesus' name. Like what? Cares of the world. That's just like, again, in our modern life, there's a lot of cares of the world. Some of them, they're just what they are. It's like, man, my taking care of my kids really takes up a lot of space in my heart. And if I just pull, that's not what we're talking about. There are cares that are just part of living our lives, and we submit those to the Lord and ask him to help us be faithful in them. So there are, those are good things we're called to do. But there are other cares of the world that creep in that are optional. That we can choose to put them in there or not. And it's not that necessarily you need to pull all of them out. But if it's choking out what God wants to do, then you need to pull it out. Cares of the world. You know, I guess, I think number, number one, I just feel so great this week, prayer and fasting. I didn't... I, like, this is a minor miracle. I didn't check the news once this week. I have no idea what's happening in the world. Thank you, Jesus. Cares of the world. Man, if you're on, again, Fox News or CNN or Newsmax or MSNBC, I'm trying to be as broad in my, like, or some other one that you found somewhere online. Wherever you're getting your news, if you are obsessing about what's going on in the world all the time, do you know you are preventing the fullness of life from growing in your heart? And I'm not saying be dumb about the world. I'm just saying, are you giving so much space in your heart, there's not even room for God to bust through some life? Cares of the world. Like for somebody, that's your thing. And though somebody's offended because I don't know, but I want you to experience the abundance of life in Jesus and knowing every detail about what's happening in every circumstance around the world is actually doing a disservice to you and the people that should be eating of the fruit growing in your life. Here's a theory. I'm going to throw, this is a bonus 
Sorry. Not at all sorry, but this is a bonus. I, I, I believe God made humans amazingly well. Our bodies are incredible gifts from the Lord. And God gave us a world that corresponded to us because God didn't need the world, but we sure do need one. He gave it for us, right? So there's all of these things he's built in so that we can live the best kind of life. Things like when the sun goes down, you should probably go to bed at some point. Like basic stuff. Like how much better do you feel when you respond to that cycle and rhythm? Your body's like, yes. But when you fight it, things start not being so happy. Like if we eat the plants and the things that God gave around us, we feel awesome. But then when we're eating a bunch of garbage, we don't feel so awesome, right? Like there's basic principles that God has put into our, the world. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. You're like, where is he going with this? I think God actually wired us for communities that are much smaller than the one we experience today. What do I mean? God made us for relationship. And even psycho non-Christian psychologists would tell you that there's an upper threshold on how many people you can have meaningful interaction with. I think it's about 150. I think like actual close connections like closer to 50. But now here's the thing about my rant about the news. And I like watching the news. Like, trust me. But the thing is, you are not wired to carry the load of 8 billion relationships. But the global news cycle turns and turns and turns and turns. You're not made for that. That doesn't mean be a dummy and don't know what's happening in the world. That means leave a little space, but then a whole bunch more space for the thing God has for us. There's like principles just in God's wisdom that he's made for us. That was a bonus. That was for free. Let's get back to the thing. Pull the weeds. Pull the thorns out of your heart. The other things, the deceitfulness of riches. This is one of the biggest things that the Western church in particular is we're very well off, we're very comfortable, and we think if I just have more, then I'll be happy. That's the deceitfulness of riches. And that crowds out so much space in our hearts that God's like saying, would you, would you deal with that desire? Would you stir a desire in your own heart for me? Man, sometimes you have to stir your own tastes and desires, Right? It's like when I started drinking coffee. At first, I'm like, this is miserable, but I need that caffeine. Well, maybe I don't. You can come talk to me later about that. But nonetheless, I had to train my tastes for something else. And now, again, spiritualize it. We need to train our tastes for the things of the Lord. The Bible is all, or the world is all bubblegum and can, uh, cotton candy. Things that are easy to taste, that taste good right away. We need to develop some tastes for the things of the Lord. And sometimes that's a process. But it's worth it in the end. The deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things. What desires in your heart are crowding out the space for that God would want to grow in? And I'm believing that he's going to prompt us by his spirit because I don't have the exhaustive list of every thorn you all need to pull. There's some common threads that... We need to be aware of in our Western world that are coming against us. The deceitfulness of riches is a key one. Desires for other things. The stuff that you go to because you think it's going to produce life for you. I don't know if it's a hobby or an activity, a certain kind of relationship, an expectation that's unrealistic. There's a lot of other things too. Like, let's be real. Uh, our world is like uh, the, the prevalence of things even like pornography. Desires for other things crowd out space in your life. 
God's not being approved. God wants to give you life. So would we agree with him in these things? Breaking up the hard, fallow ground, pulling out those thorns. Why? So that a harvest can begin to grow. We got to prep those conditions so that we can experience the abundance of life. And so, man, praise the Lord. It's 1136, and I'm about to, like, ask the keyboard player to come to the stage. You witnessed a miracle. Well, it was a bit on plan because I wanted to give you some time. I don't want you to run out today. And if you're at home and you're like, oh, the sermon's about over, click off to the next thing, pause. No, no, don't pause the video. Pause the desire to press onto the next thing. Can we respond to the Lord this morning for a few moments? It would be kind of one thing to be like, oh, I heard it. Something about breaking up the ground and something about thorns. That was a nice sermon. We laughed a few times. I felt convicted a bit, but I'm trying to ignore that. You know, all those things that we do, right? Let's be real. But what if we said, Lord, I don't want to leave before I have a sense of maybe there's something I need to repent of. And what would be the specific fruit of repentance in my life God's calling me to this? Do you see that thing? Like, not just the, oh, Lord, I know there's some distractions. Amen. But, Lord, I know there's some distractions. And, and now I'm so hesitant even to, like, verbally fill in the blank because I don't want to be prescriptive and make a new law that we all need to do. Here's something. I was chatting with somebody, a couple people this week about this. There can be a thing for you that's sin that's not sin for someone else. Did you know that? Like murder is a sin for everybody. (laughs) But there are other things that if the Lord prompts you on something, it may not be for someone else, but it's what God's doing in you. So that's why I'm hesitating to be like over specific. Because I think we need to grow in our maturity in the Lord that we can trust in the leading of the Spirit. What are the thorns that you need to yank out? Don't go until you know of at least one. And then what's the plan with God's strength to walk in that? Before I do that, Mandy, come on down. I was chatting with Mandy this week. There's a small group of us that have been going out and doing some outreach and stuff, which you're interested, if you're interested in, come talk to me about later. Um, but Mandy, there was a word that the Lord was stirring in your heart. And, so, and I just, I told her on, was this the Friday or something? And I'm like, this kind of ties in nicely with my sermon. Uh, so yeah, just pick, paint the picture a little bit. Uh, well, it was originally, I think the word was for me, really. And then I felt like I just um, wanted to share it. I think the Lord wanted, you know, everybody to hear it. Um, basically, it was just uh, that the Lord was sort of pinpointing that us as the body, like us individually in this church, have been focusing maybe not on what the Lord is doing um, and maybe focusing, you know, like, what he hasn't been doing rather than what he's going to do and is doing. And so to keep our minds focused on that and, and staying in thankfulness was a huge thing too, that just kept coming up. Like I met this guy at McDonald's that day, Martin. And, uh, and he said, you know, he wakes up, he gives thanks to the Lord in the morning, right when he wakes up, thanks all throughout the day and then thanks at nighttime and that's his key to happiness he he looked happy you know even though he was older he didn't look like he was in that great of health he had joy you know he had the joy of the lord because of thankfulness and that's why i think and so yeah i just um 
I don't know, just feeling that, you know, if we could get our minds focused on um, the things that he is doing in our lives. Like, let's just think about, you know, what he has done, right? The miracles he has done. And he's also saying, like, I can't remember what scripture that is, but... Um, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams and in the wasteland. Isaiah 43, 18, 19. Yeah, and so he is. Like, he doesn't want us to focus on, like, you know, COVID and what has happened and the people that have passed and the people that are in not good health. And he wants to focus on his healing, the things he is doing you know, not the things he hasn't done or isn't doing. And sometimes we think that he should be doing something. <laughs> it's another thing. And, uh, you know, uh, his timing and his, he's good. He's always good, you know, so trusting in his timing. And I had one more <laughs> scripture that he's been putting on my heart. And it was really neat that uh, the ladies this morning actually explained what the fear of the Lord was because I was going, how to explain it? Like, I've been trying to, think about how to explain what the fear of the Lord is. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm scared of you, Lord. It's like um, wanting to obey, right? And so this verse, Proverbs 31, 30, I felt was for us too, as well as me hugely. Actually, Pastor Tanya gave me this before she left. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I think this could also be stand for a man too. So women are men. <laughs> um, yeah, and so yeah, when we think, you know, we're getting older and stuff, may not look as good and all that, but it doesn't matter as long as we fear the Lord. Amen? Amen. Okay. It's awesome. Thanks, Mandy, for being obedient, for bringing that to our attention. And I think the thing where is there, right, in all of these things, in thinking about the fear of the Lord, there's a theme for us today. Is, Lord, we want to respond in obedience. Man, that's a hard word, obedience. Submission, hard word. But when we fear the Lord, we know, we trust that he's leading us to life. So let's just take a moment. Right now in your spot, we can stay seated for a moment. I'll probably get you to stand soon. But can we just come before the Lord? And even as I'm talking, I'm going to pray. I've got a mic near my mouth. You'll probably hear my voice. But what I'm inviting is you to take some time with the Lord. Thank you, Lord, by your spirit that you speak to your people. Jesus, your word says, your sheep hear your voice. And so, Lord, today in those inner promptings of your spirit in our heart, those, that the sense that we might have that we, we acknowledge as you speaking, the prompts to, to the, of, of your word or other ways that you, we know that it's you. We thank you. Your word says that we hear you. Open our ears to hear. And God, we pray today that you would identify, Lord, for us, are there hard areas that need to be broken? Are there thorns that need to be pulled? And Lord, we thank you that we don't come to you in that, yeah, that over sense of terror. Uh, but Lord, out of an awe and a reverence of your power, God, we want to be holy as you are holy. So God, would you bring revelation to us? Would you illuminate uh, by your spirit areas of our lives, even now? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
leading us today. Thank you. stay in this attitude of our hearts open to the Lord. It's one of the ways we soften our heart is we just say, Lord, I'm listening. But can we stand together this morning? Thank you, Lord. Again, I want to let you know that you'd be better off lingering <laughs> if you need to linger than, than running They'll, they'll wait for you at Wendy's. They'll, they'll, the food will still be there at White Spot. They won't run out. But to say, Lord, we know you have life for us, and you're showing us how to walk in it. So, Lord, we come before you today as a people with our eyes on you, Jesus. We do thank you that you are almighty God. And Lord, we thank you that we can respond to you in the, the fear of the Lord. Lord, we're, that's, it is weighty. and We want to be holy as you are holy. Lord, we want to break up hard ground and, and we do want to pull weeds and thorns in our lives. But God, we recognize that we often come to the end of ourselves in our own ability. And so Lord, it's in these moments that we are calling upon the Lord. Be our strength. Lord, by your spirit, would you give us the fruit of your spirit, including self-control. Lord, we want the power of the spirit and we want the fruit of the spirit evident in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray today that there would be decisions made in the hearts of people, your people. Decisions I'm going to cultivate. I will break up hard ground. Those weeds are on the way out in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would move us from places of just kind of apathy and floating through our Christian walk, Lord, to a very diligent pursuit of you. In this day, you, there is something about the timeliness of what you're doing in the earth today. I do believe you are preparing your bride. Lord, I do believe that you desire to move in a powerful way, Lord, throughout the world, not just in our church, but way beyond this. And Lord, we want to be peop a people that are prepared. Willing and ready. And so I thank you today that through gifts like repentance, through gifts like making choices to steward and shepherd and shape our hearts in light of what we believe, God, you are setting those conditions where we will be willing and ready. And life will flow. Not just for us, but for the sake of the world, Lord, we take that role seriously. You've sent us to be a blessing to the nations. So I pray, God, that an abundance of, heart, of fruit would grow in our lives that would reach far beyond ourselves. Forgive us, God, where we've been content to live with unfruitfulness and put a hunger in our hearts that we might abound with fruit the evidence of God at work in our lives.
We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. In these days, as we call on you. Thank you, Lord. So, like technically, I'm going to say, like, bless you and I love you and we will see you tonight at 6.30 for prayer. But can I encourage you, A, there'll be some prayer team available to come pray with you here at the end of the service. We even moved some stuff around so there's some less, more room so it's a little less crowded and awkward. But can I also just one last call? Maybe no. Oh, there we go. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you need to linger a little longer. And I just want you to know you, there's room for you up here to do some business with Jesus. There's room at your seat to do business with Jesus. Grab somebody else and say, we need to do business with Jesus before you go. But church, let's go abound in fruit. Let's go abound in the life that Jesus has for us. Amen? And so, Lord, I bless your people as we go from this place. I pray, God, that your grace would continue to abound towards us in Christ Jesus. I thank you that you blessed us with every spiritual blessing. God, why we walk in the awareness, the power of it in our lives. Thank you for what you have yet in store to do in us, through us. We're saying, Lord, we're ready. Do what you want us to do. Do, uh, move, move in us, work through us. Lord, shift and modify and transform and shape us to be more like Christ. We thank you that life is on its way. In Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.